story, everybody. How are you keeping? You're all very welcome to the sixth episode of the podcast. Thanks very, very much for uh, for tuning in. Six Sundays in a row. I've left it till late Sunday night to record an intro. But uh, if you'd like to listen to any other episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud slash on Nart. Uh, if it's your first time listening, just let you know we've interviews there with Paul Mooney, uh, Jerry Duffy, Shay Lestrange, and then and the happy pair. Um, all delving into a range of topics in their own right, but mainly featuring chat about Irish schools and uh, how they can be improved. Today's episode is with Mr. Paul Dermody. So Paul is a personal trainer, um, an online coach at the moment and a podcaster from Galway, but currently based in Barcelona. Um, I'll let Paul introduce himself a bit more comprehensively in the first question, so I'll let him do that. But from there, we chat about weight loss and keeping off. We chat about Paul's experience of school growing up and how it did and didn't support him and how school does and doesn't support other people who want to get into social media and social influencing and this kind of thing. Um, I chat to Paul about meeting Gary Vaynerchuk and growing his podcast, which I personally found very interesting, and also Paul's I suppose philosophy on dealing with setbacks, um, which is something that's very popular with his listeners, and I hope it's something people enjoy. Um, yeah, so I might as well just cut to it. Here's episode six with Paul Dermody. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Nice one. Uh, so I'm a I'm an online personal trainer now. I used to be on the floor one to one. Um, then I switched my business online earlier in the summer. Um, earlier this year, 2018, obviously. Living in Barcelona ever since, decided that if I wanted to build my online business, I needed to test myself, just just get a little bit uncomfortable, really put myself into new territory, just put myself into a new country, trying to build a new part of the business. Essentially, the same kind of advice I would give clients, where I'm like, you just kind of need to embrace the difficulty, embrace the uncertainty. So I just work now, I have a, I have a series of clients. I tend to, now more than anyone, I tend to attract it. Um, almost like a, the overweight demographic, which is kind of funny because I started putting myself out there when I was like doing physique, men's physique kind of style training and competitions. Um, but I guess it was just something about the way I've been able to talk to people that's just attracted overweight people. And now it's my full-time job, obviously. It has been for the last three years. And in 2019, I'm hoping to be back doing a little bit of one-to-one on the gym floor, um, perhaps back in Ireland, perhaps in Barcelona. I don't have a clue yet, um, but that's a little bit about me. I'm 28 years old and um, nearly 29 and loving personal training so far. Yeah, t- perfect, Paul. I, I forgot even to say hello to you there at the start, but um, uh, just to, to, to supplement what you said there, what you just ha- happened to leave out, which you've got a massive following on, on social media and a very, very successful podcast. Um, so, Paul, the this is our second time recording. Um, anyone who's listened to the first few podcasts would almost guess what the default was. Um, but... Uh, I suppose it's an education-based podcast, Paul, but I'd like to pick up on something you just said there because you mainly said that your main target demographic for clients is those who are overweight. And um, I suppose I wanted to get to this maybe later on in the chat, but I might as well just jump straight into it now. Um, There was a a survey released, um, it's a longitudinal study, uh, that follows um, 8,000 children from birth to different points in their lives I think it's 3, 5, 7 and 9 and they ask him a series of questions sorry 13 and 18 goes on to as well sorry so the latest edition of that it's called the Growing Up in Ireland survey was published very recently and it's a, it's a very comprehensive study but, but one of the findings was that 26% of Irish 13 year olds are overweight and 6% of those of that 26 are classed as obese so I suppose nutrition comes into the education um, from a personal point of view probably in secondary school a bit better but uh, when we're chatting amongst teachers when you talk about children maybe the odd child who might be severely overweight and you're kind of trying to diagnose what the pathology might be um, there's two maybe causes that are given okay so one is like maybe a gap of an education and the other is if the child is going through some sort of emotional issue so if the teachers um, and I'm just giving anecdotal um, evidence here but if the teachers ever decided to gap in education they'd say the parents are to blame now I'm interested to ask you and just point those findings at you because you work with some of those parents you work with adults who are overweight so let's try diagnose the pathology a bit further where do you see 
Um, how can I say this better? Where do you see the greatest variance explained in the pathology of someone becoming overweight or obese? So, what do I think is pretty much the root cause? Where do I think it starts? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's such a multivaried and deep question. I mean, you, you said something there about in education, and if any teacher ever manages to crack how to teach the most base fundamental element of nutrition in simple terms that don't bore the pants off someone they're going to be on a winner because I remember being in school and I love keep in mind I love nutrition I love being around the 10-12% body fat mark. I feel that I perform best I, I feel super confident um, it's just me I, I love that but I remember listening to the biomolecular makeup of a carbohydrate when I was about 15 and thinking oh my god this is absolutely dull I don't care if somebody would have come along and said actually if you know what if you treated your calories a little bit more like you treat your income um, you'd probably be better off if you spend more than you make you're broke if you save a little bit then you're flush and that's kind of how I see calorie expenditure and being this one I tell I'll put it this way before I answer your question um, I tell all my clients, specifically ones that are clueless to nutrition, I'm like, right, you're going to need to track your own calories for a little while. Now, it's double dutch initially to somebody, but I get them to track their own calories, and then they begin to see that it's a bit like your wage, your income. If you begin to spend too much money, you're broke. If you save enough, you're always good, and that's how I see being lean. Uh, in terms of why I think there's obesity, it, it's such a multivaried thing. I mean, I've worked with lots of people. You, you'd be surprised how many people um, uh, self-medicate with food, man, as, as a response of being told they were ugly when they were like six or something like that. And that's not my area of expertise by any means. Um, but I'm not blind. I'm very aware that's the thing. There's also just really bad knowledge. Uh, there's also people that like, if I, if, if you know, there's also people that basically go home and suck the balls off an avocado and coconut oil all day long, thinking they're doing themselves a favor. They hate avocado and coconut oil, and then they hiss the fuck it button, as I call it, and swamp about two, three thousand calories of pizza anyway because the willpower runs out, and all of a sudden they're in a massive calorie excess and they're on a pile of body fat. That's another aspect. There's also environment. Um, if you're a girlfriend or your boyfriend's, um, you know, of the sedentary, more fat lifestyle, it's very likely they're going to rubber arm you into eating a bit more like that. And then there's also a, a common one where people just numb out to the reality where it's just like. You know, if I don't address it, it's not happening. Um, so it's a tricky one. But but I've been I talk on my social media and I specifically talk on my podcast. It's either a very simple and straightforward analogy on how to make fat loss rather simple. But also, I'm a big believer in Matt. I don't want to use mastering thyself because I think it's a bit of a cliche term. But I do think you need to take responsibility and start to eat and think to some degree with the mentality of the person you want to become. So, like, if you want to be 15 stone from 20, when you begin to eat, on some level, you need to start questioning, well, what would a 15 stone person do in this regard? If they didn't know what to do, they'd ask somebody for help. Um, so, I'm not really interested so much when I'm working with people as why they're obese, as long as they're committed to tackling it and and listening to me and understanding that I have their best interest at heart and communicating. I actually listen a lot more than I talk when I'm working with someone. So um, it's, it's, it's a hard one for me to answer why. I mean, smarter people than me have speculated and I've listened to it. But there is also a lot of terrible advice out there for people who feel they're so far away from ever being slim. And ironically, it's, it's quite straightforward. If you're overweight or obese, you literally just need to create a minor calorie deficit compared to what you've been doing and what I do with clients is I just just get them to track their own calories because it makes them so aware and get them to commit to seven or eight thousand steps in a day and you'd be surprised that alone usually gets the first five or six pounds off the bone and when they see that it's not actually torture they can kind of continue with that trajectory and then make their own decisions yeah no that's brilliant and of course it's it's massively multifactorial and I think saying that the insights you gave there were brilliant because you touched on a lot of those factors, um, whether that be a gap in education, emotional, uh, individual emotional issues, uh, you know, maybe it's social conditioning to an extent to people who are around you. Um, I suppose it's, it's massively pervasive and that's where I would like to see, I suppose, education for that point at least to be covered because that's something that as a society we could cover in theory and at least. Um, but no, thanks a million, man. Um, I wasn't wanting to get onto it, but just something you said there uh, just made me think of something. Um, so I was listening to uh, 
that Dublin footballer Philly McMahon there um, recently enough and he was saying that some of the highest uh, best results he gets out of his clients in his gym are those who are recovered addicts and he puts it down to a mindset that's kind of a second chance in life right now again I only want your thoughts on this just from your own experience man I don't expect any massive um, answer even though I know your insight's going to be fantastic but I suppose something you hear about weight loss is the rebound weight so I suppose where do you see uh, where do you see the main issues in people keeping the weight off like, cause you, like, are are they getting that kind of second chance effect, and that keeps it off, or, or how does it how do how does it how does it generally go? So you're wondering how essentially I get a client to not only lose weight but keep it off too. Yeah, wh- where are the main challenges to keeping it off? I suppose just that that rebound weight. I suppose is something that's kind of lo- I talked about a lot. If if I feel if I feel I'm the person who's going to help them go from overweight or obese down to slim, um, I think they have enough knowledge that they'll never ever have to worry about it unless they just simply become lazy again. In terms of what you said about recovering addicts being the um, being the probably the most successful transformations almost, that sounds very logical to me because even from from a purely anecdotal and observational standpoint, there's a couple of traits that addicts tend to have or people of addictive personality. They're, they're like, do people tend to you know, channel it in ways that they either become hyper successful in the professional field and make a lot of money, or they channel it the wrong way and they go to prison, or they channel it the wrong way and they get into drugs, or they channel it the wrong way and they become like, uh, as you said, addicts and become homeless. You know, basically there's traits that we tend to adopt extremes, and it's probably the one thing I've had to metaphorically and verbally beat out of every client I've had, because the more extreme of the mindset they're in, the more... Um, delicate the situation tends to be so then when you channel that in a positive way it's no surprise to me that people tend to get something of a reward out the other end because they tend to have that rebirth where they start to channel it positively and also there's a really interesting insight by Jordan Peterson where he talks about um, almost like an addict who actually genuinely comes out of addiction tends to undergo some kind of spiritual transformation and then they begin to have a very different perspective on life and understand what they can actually achieve when they put their mind to it. It's very fascinating. Him and Russell Brand speak about it and I suggest it. Uh, For me, it's straightforward. If I was to give it on the simplest form, the very simplest form, your, your body negotiates an energy balance. You walk into a shop. What you ask me there is the equivalent of, if I'm going to spend my wage, how do you stop people going broke? And I'm like, okay, well, let's let's look at it this way. The shops negotiate in euros. That's the fact. You can you can argue it. You cannot count your money. You can do whatever you want. But you're spending money in euros, and that's the fact. Same with your body. Your your body will negotiate in calories. So if I'm an overweight person who's trying to lose five or six stone, they literally have four or five stone of body fat, of excess calories that they didn't need on their bones. All I need to do is create a small deficit. So if their maintenance happens to be 3,000 a day, usually I'll put them down to two, two and a half. And that's going to elicit just enough fat loss for them to, you know, probably lose the bulk of the weight if they're overweight and they commit to a step counter and exercise program. Now I'm giving it to you in its simplest form, but if they track macros or calories and on a large scale over eight weeks, they commit to 2,200, they'll start to see they're losing 10, 20, 30 pounds. Um, my last three check-in of clients have been 150 pounds down, 60 pounds down, and 50 pounds down. So I have quite a bit of experience in this. And what happens is then the maintenance that was, the person whose maintenance was 3,000 calories, once they're 30 or 40 pounds lighter, they're now a smaller human. So now their maintenance might be 2,000 calories. So I just keep them eating around that mark, 2,000 calories, so that they maintain a healthy lean body weight and then do some resistance or weight training and begin to recomp or change their body composition. Where you see people rebound is generally blindly in the blind. They generally go from a like a three, four, five thousand calorie intake to a, a guess, to complete guesswork and take in a calorie amount that they either don't know what it is or foods they bloody detest, yeah. or both. And then the second they get a taste of something that they've demonized, they push the bucket button, as I call it, and they think, well, I've messed up now, I might as well, you know, keep going. And I'm like, hang on a second. What will one, what will one share size packet of Kinder Buenos do that one Kinder Bueno didn't do? 
So I'm trying to get people thinking pragmatically. And once I feel I have a, a mix of the science and an art, I'm like, oh, you know 2,000 calories is going to maintain weight. Now you actually need to do it. The battle comes with when people are have, you know, three slices of pizza and they just get tempted to eat the whole box just because it's there. So, I mean, <clears throat> keeping the weight off is physiological in terms of you need to approximate your caloric maintenance and, and, and manipulate that. But also you need to just keep shit out of the bloody house and out of your trolley because you're a human. And it's not a willpower issue, it's actually a cop-on issue. You put 30 jammy dodgers in my press, mate, I'm going to swamp the whole box as well. So I don't keep crap in my house. And people look at me and they're like, oh, you're so disciplined. And I'm like, no, no, I just got a taste of looking and feeling good for the last six months. And now I'm not willing to jeopardize that by keeping excess crap in the house. If you get an urge, satisfy it. But the urge shouldn't be 30 chocolate bars or else on diet plan. It should be flexibility within your nutrition protocol overall. <clears throat> and so the principle of calorie maintenance is very straightforward, really. It's just people often overlook it and jump it and look for that one magic food or one magic plan as opposed to the overall context of a diet and it just it just needs to be calorie controlled that's that's all i encourage people and that might sound a bit straightforward but i've watched some people's lives change i don't know if you follow me on instagram but sometimes i'll screenshot some of the emails and some of the dms i get where it's literally like my mentality towards food has changed because of my fitness pal now i know how to keep weight off <clears throat> Yeah, no, that's fantastic, and um, I, I suppose touching back to what you said earlier on, just in response to the kind of addicts bit, like, and what you said, kind of on the whole, there, it's all about kind of reframing attitudes and education. And I'm relatively lucky in that I came across people like yourself, um, maybe three or four years ago, and was able to educate myself through yourselves. But like, what you provided there is a really, really excellent, comprehensive, um education I suppose for anyone listening to this um, I suppose the podcast revolves around that word education and um, I suppose one thing we chat about the last time Paul was the fact that what you're doing right now wasn't an option on your CAO when you were 17 or 18 so if you mind if you, so if you wouldn't mind sorry can we just go maybe just a step before that what what did school teach you or how did how did school set you up um, great question um, so I guess sometimes I need to almost remember that I was pre, I think Bebo was the thing when I was in school. So there wasn't really this social media crack, you know, it was a toy. You went on it in the evening. So, I mean, I could have never foreseen what the future was. Not for me, probably not for anyone. Um, I didn't love school. Um, in my, in primary school, I got picked on quite a bit. Uh, early in secondary school, tiny bit. I uh, didn't really tell anyone, one or two people intended to make my life pretty miserable in first and second year <coughs> Pardon. Um, <coughs> but in transition year I started to do some weight training on the sides um, I started to get into better shape you know I started to basically develop a little bit and I found my confidence so um, school changed when my own perception of myself began to change in around 16, 17 I didn't love school I never felt the system suited my personality which would be one of a tiny bit more creative and um, I'm not meant to be in an office I don't think I'm meant to be in an office or classroom I mean it's not really a choice at 16 so it's not the system's fault by any stretch but I didn't love school so I couldn't wait to get out of school it was ironically it was leaving I couldn't wait to get out of school and then leaving cert came and I loved it I didn't want the year to end uh, I met a lot of friends that year um, I was if I dare say so I consider myself quite naturally intelligent and um um, you know, I, I catch concepts very well. I'm very conceptual. So, like, our teacher would just mention the lymphatic system once, and I would just remember about four words in January and think, Grant, when the exam's in June, I'll write that shit down. And, um, like, I bluffed a 410, a 410 point leaving search, like, to the point, my friend, where literally my parents and my friends were all really surprised. I got a better score than most of my friends, and they're all really surprised. But I guess I always kind of knew I was quite intuitive, so I'd be fine. Um, but no, I didn't. I didn't love school. Um, I never felt it was for me. I didn't really click with many teachers. Not that that's their fault or their job. It just wasn't for me. I was just glad to be done. Yeah. Um, just you, you said there, Paul. One thing you said there was that school didn't suit your personality, and you you labelled yourself as creative, naturally intelligent, and God, 
you definitely don't need me to validate that but it's absolutely 100% true like your your content you put out and the work you do and the impact you've had on all of our clients' lives more than validates all that um, what I'm interested in is how did you feel okay how uh, me asking you how do you think school could support creativity like that's that'd be very difficult even because I don't have a clue and I'm that's supposed to be my job um but how do you feel school stifled your creativity like what what would you kind of most hate about it or what was most kind of uh I don't know most boring I suppose least challenging to you um you know what maybe it wasn't so much we talked already on the podcast and the first one didn't come out well we kind of talked about this and I don't know if you realize you kind of challenged my thought process on it I kept away thinking Jesus he might be right um I don't know if you remember that yeah but I don't know if school so like how how do you put 30 16 year olds 30 17 year olds 35 year olds in a classroom and embrace all their individual strengths it's very difficult um, also, my girlfriend is a teacher of baby infants, and, and I, I love the way she speaks about it because she jokes that one of them can't even uh, count to four yet, but he's really nice to the other boys and girls, so she's like, he'll be fine in life. Um, I, I don't I don't actually think it did, man. I think, do you know what, I think it was just a case of you're just so uncertain in your teens, and you're just, you're looking to find the way, and... Uh, I don't think I don't think it did. You're just it, none of the subjects intrigued me. Like business and English were the only two I was actually good at that I gave a crap about, which is actually kind of fitting in many respects because I write a lot and I run a business now. So um, I guess that would kind of worked out quite well. I don't think it did suppress my creativity in any way. I just think I actually technically picked the wrong subjects. I was there doing bloody biology and I don't give a monkey's or I didn't about at the time. I didn't give a monkey's about the respiratory system or like. I was doing construction and I couldn't care less about insulation in the middle of a wall. Like that's why I hire builders. You do science and I didn't give a heck about Pluto or Saturn. But like, I mean, the teachers are only doing what they're paid to do. Like they're not bringing me into science class and be like, okay, journal your thoughts. Um, so they, it, I, I don't actually think it did. Um, I think the only reason you could argue it fails the more creative people is that it just simply doesn't cater to the frivolousness I guess of our personalities like I feel I feel you can't you can't blossom in a school setting when you're not very academic that's the way I look at it yeah like uh, I think I think if you don't mind me saying man you're sad you're a tad self-deprecating because it's it should be an expectation on teenagers or adolescents growing up that the school system should give you some bit of guidance and support around how you pick your subjects and should have a trained eye to identify your talents and this kind of thing and again like I'm speaking as a teacher like so I'm very much slagging myself here and it's just something I suppose part of the podcast is wrestling with how do you do it best um so it's interesting that that's what you said that you can look back and maybe you'd say yourself that you maybe you should have picked different subjects but then I suppose regardless of your leaving cert that the business and the, the English did help you out maybe can I frame the question a small bit differently right so um, I'm actually teaching infants at the moment as well, but I was teaching uh, an older class, and a lot of them, when you asked them what they wanted to be, was uh, were YouTubers or influencers and this kind of thing. Um, yeah. Very much along the lines of, of what you're at. So, how do you think today, like working backwards from that job, like reverse engineering from back that, that job, how do you feel school can best support students who feel like they'd like to be an influencer or a YouTuber or something like that? Um. I, I guess by making them aware that trends will definitely change that like if you ask me in 2006 like if you're talking about building a social media you would have headed to MySpace and Bebo um, just like Facebook and Instagram may not be the platforms in five or six years if someone has a natural strength and they're naturally artistic or creative or they play well with the other boys and girls if a teacher takes the onus on them to tell them that I think that's fantastic um, but being an influencer is a funny one because I always am curious like what are you influencing it's a very vague career I don't consider myself by any stretch an influencer and I never will be if anything I actually think we all influence it's just what are we influencing I consider myself a self-employed personal trainer the only thing I'm trying to influence people is to you know take a bit of responsibility and eat a bit better and eat a bit more calorie controlled but like you'll never see me um, in a paid partnership promoting something that I don't believe in which I think is kind of the influencer 
mentality these days. If anything, I think the schools can just teach people not to be full of shit because I think that's unfortunately where the social media era of influencer has headed. I think it's right there right now. And I think um, I actually I'm, I, I'm urging people to cop the fuck on to put it to be honest because you see like uh, you see Johnny steroids pushing like oh in my pet partnership couldn't survive without my apple flavored ZMA and people 100 comments going oh is it worth it is it worth this and then your man's clearly been paid he's clearly t- you know he's filtered a picture he's been paid to say a thing of course he's going to promote the product it's up to us to do our due diligence um, so I think promoting kids to have a bit of cop on um, to be very um, adaptable and susceptible to change and, and taking responsibility that for for whatever go- I think the youth need to be encouraged that whatever goes wrong in life if they get into the mentality that it's pr- like take ownership take responsibility it may be your fault it'll set them up for long-term success so they never fall into this soft snowflakey victim mentality that's what I think anyway the school could do right now to strengthen characters if if we're talking about the influencing careers other than that just teach subjects and, and not be a dickhead and don't shout at people would be any other things I could say yeah no it's excellent because uh, suppose the curriculum was designed the primary school one anyway in 1999 so it's it definitely doesn't reflect any of those skills as per being an influencer of course you're talking about desirable personal characteristics on the main but uh, I suppose there is a bit of a, a fear when you hear the child wants to be uh, a YouTuber and they're throwing up videos already age 8 and 9 you want to support it obviously but like it's a risky business uh, throwing up all that stuff online as well so uh, why, what you said there is excellent and um, as, as a teacher of educational for myself um, just uh, something we chatted about about last time, Paul. Um, linking in with that, I suppose 2018 is seismic difference to what you said there. There's a Bebo in MySpace, and I suppose it's a world of opportunity with things like the internet. And there's someone uh, I know you chatted to on your podcast who I know you've taken some inspiration from, Gary Vaynerchuk, and I know you met him. Um, I really like the story you, sh- you shared with me about how you met Gary Vaynerchuk and how he became on your podcast. Would you mind sharing that with us, please, again? Yeah, so I, 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 miss, I miss Gary V in um, this kind of story half changes every time I say it. <laughs> I try and say it as literal as I remember it because I'm aware of narrative fallacy where you tell it as you remember it, not as it happened. Um, no, no, I met Gary V twice. I met I went, it, it was amazing because uh, in 2016, I wanted to go see him in Dublin and I literally couldn't afford 300 euro to go and see him speak in Dublin. And I was really disappointed because I would love to see him. So he spoke then in Germany one year later and it was 1100 euro. And I went. So I flew to Germany. I saw him speak. I he had at that point in time he had had a profound impact on my way to think. He had been the he had been the relatable because Brian Keen Fitness has had a big impact on me from a mentorship standpoint. But he's polar opposite to me. Gary Vaynerchuk was the relatable mentor online that I wanted. You know, the not academic, considered himself good with people. Um, you know, just genuine legacy over currency, and I've always considered myself to be not greedy, not not none of that stuff. So went to Germany. Uh, I noticed that the stage, the backstage, was unmanned. I snuck out to try and meet him, pretending I was going to the toilet. But I snuck in, got in. Um, but I, even though I got to talk to him, just as asking him to be on the podcast was on the tip of my tongue. Uh, he was like pulled away and he had to go on stage. So Gary did his talk. And during the talk, I said to myself, all right, I'm not leaving here until I get something from this. Because he said 99% of businesses go out of business within the first year, and then 90% of those go out of business within 10 years. And I was like, shit. But he, he joked, he goes, every one of you fuckers just looked around and thought, oh, not me, poor you guys. And I was like, no, no, I was really like, you know, I never want to get complacent. So I just literally first hand up when he said Q&A. I told him the impact he had had on me. I told him that I had done things like set up a podcast and put myself out there, been a bit more brave, just left my job with no savings, all of that stuff, just on on a lot of his motivation that he'd had, with the exception of friends and family, he'd been the biggest impact. And then I just said to him, I know you're going to expect me to ask another stupid question like most people who follow you about how to scale my business, but I'm wondering, would you be on my podcast? So he said he would. I was shocked. And I got a standing ovation for asking 600 people, all clapped me. Um, and then he just said, email me tonight. 
Gary at GaryVaynerMedia.com. I was like, great, whatever, cool. Emailed him like there, literally there and then when I sat back down on my seat. He just said, labelless, enthusiastic Irish guy, email me and come over. I was like, fantastic. Didn't hear back from him. Didn't hear back from him at all. And that was August 31st, 2017. And I was like, Christmas came and I was like, oh, like, it's so far past happening. I'm not even worried anymore. Like, he's not going to do it. He doesn't even remember who the hell I am. Who gives a shit? I'm in the gym one day. It's about January 5th, maybe, and the phone vibrates in my pocket. I take it out, and across the top of the notification, it says, new email from Gary V, or from Gary VaynerMedia or whatever. And I'm like, holy shit. And it's his secretary, and she just has a cross. Hey, Paul, podcast meeting with Gary V. You're invited to VaynerMedia, February the 8th, 2018, uh, at 10.30 in the morning. Look forward to see you. And I was just like, holy shit. So went over to New York, spent spent about maybe 30 to 40 minutes doing the podcast I spent about an hour and a half with him in total it was it was pretty awesome it was such a cool little thing to check ironically all it did was um, be like Grant great another goal checked off but it actually removed my kind of halo complex and my hero complex and made me realise this is just another human being man this is just another dude that's going to use the loo in an hour so that was that was a double thing for me because I lost the inferiority complex that you kind of have with celebrities and um I checked off one of the biggest goals of meeting one of my biggest mentors, so it worked really, really well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's brilliant, and um, I, I listened to the interviews, and it's fantastic. And I, I'd redirect everyone to to check it out. It's about about forty minutes long, Paul, isn't it? About half an hour, forty oh, minutes long. Yeah, yeah, it's it's brilliant. If if you get a chance, you can get Paul Dermody podcast and the Gary V episode. I think is in around there, towards the middle, about twenty odd in. Um, really really recommend it and yeah like when you talk about Gary Vee and you talk about Brian Keane and and Jordan Peterson Russell Brand I suppose it's that kind of new age of self-education you know and I suppose as a teacher who, who consumes some of that um, that information as well it's how do you distill that to children because we live in the age of information I suppose and the age of opportunity as we said earlier and it's trying to distill those messages and regulate them I suppose some way to the child is what, is what this podcast is kind of about um, one thing I've, I've really got Paul as well as the massive education on on nutrition and training from your own um, social media profiles is your mindset towards setbacks and uh, I suppose you talked at the start there about um, moving to Barcelona to consciously put yourself in an uncomfortable position that demands growth can you just kind of talk to me about your, your shoulder injuries and just I just I've heard you speak before in interviews about it, and I think your message, even though it's about your shoulder, kind of crystallizes for a lot of other ways how to deal with setbacks. So, am I right in saying recently enough you did your shoulder out for the eighth time? Uh, I did my right shoulder for the third time. I've done the other one five times. Yeah, yeah it's eight dislocations across the two arms. Um, look, one of my biggest um, one of my biggest beefs with our generation is the absolute overability to consume and read self-help and the inability to do anything with it. Uh, I don't know why, it just pisses me off how moody people get. They read the most profound of books like Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl and then they go and throw a tantrum when they don't get the iPhone 7 or the internet's a bit slow. I think we're a generation that lacks gratitude and I think we're a generation that lacks perspective. And unfortunately, I personally see it every day. Not that I'm judging or condemning. In fact, I'm just literally learning from people how not to be. In that, I'm a big believer that every setback is trying to teach you something to become the person you need to be. Now, you can choose to agree and, and cool, or you can disagree with me, and that's fine, but the fact of the matter is they happen and they exist. And I think all the obstacles <clears throat> are just trying to prime me to have a tougher, steely mindset that when, say, my parents die, or if anything ever happens to Orla, that I'll be in a slightly stronger position to cope with it than I may not have been if I was wrapped in bubble wrap all my life. So I have a tear down the front of my delt, front of my shoulder. I've had it since I've had it for years. It dislocated when I was skiing in February, and it happened again when I was doing calisthenics. Brutal, brutal pain, man. I can't even describe because I was in a full stretch kind of Superman position on rings, and it just snapped out. But there and then, literally there and then, I just messaged Orla because I was in Spain. And I was like, babe, I've dislocated my shoulder. It's fine. I got home from the hospital. Literally recorded a podcast the second I walked in the door. My philosophy on setbacks. My own personal philosophy is to have the exact same spiel for you if you woke me at four in the morning that when you ask me on a podcast and I may have time to prepare and rehearse and answer. So setbacks happen and they happen to all of us. And if you fall into the why me mentality, 
then you're A, ignoring the growth you need to become a better person on the other end. B, nobody gives a flying feck about you and your problems. And as much as people kind of pretend to sympathize and whatnot, it's just not very practical because everybody has their own stuff going on. And C, I honestly think the obstacle is growth. And I've always thought that. Like before, I, Long before I read a personal development book, I used to kind of have this everything falls on me philosophy. So when I have a, a client or a, a potential client message me and say something like, I'm really overweight, uh, it's my boyfriend's fault. Uh, because he eats pizza and I'm like no no you're just innocent and you're feeling lazy and you need to take responsibility for that but that can make people feel very uncomfortable and I wouldn't normally be as sharp about it but like I wouldn't shirk it either I would challenge people's thought process because I feel if you like me tear a shoulder or if something happens to you I think it is a minor a mini metaphor for how you may react to the bigger things in life and whether I'm right or wrong, it's a theory that really supports me, and I find that rather than preach it, I just want to be it, and then when people work with me, or when people are friends with me, or when people are interacting with me, they'll kind of sense that, and then their philosophy towards setbacks begins to change. Because even on a practical standpoint, without any of that, I just think the victim-wife-me mentality is the most unattractive thing that a human being can have. I think, it's, I think it's undesirable, I think you're naive if you think you're never going to have setbacks, I think it literally stops people from acting. I think there's so much courage and growth to be taken from everything bad that happens. I just think a lot of people don't open their eyes to that fact. And that's why people almost not only don't embrace the setbacks, but they allow that to manifest and be greater and greater. And like, you know, this pool of anxiety, this societal anxiety that we have now as a generation, not that I'm in a position to start analyzing it. I don't really understand the literature behind it or anything like that, but You'd be hard-pressed not to convince me is that as a generation we're entitled, overly privileged, and we don't actually face real challenges when they come, because not a lot of us have been primed to do so. Yeah, and like like you're speaking, you're giving your personal insights, you're giving your professional insights, which are working with thousands of people, you're giving insights as someone who's who's very qualified to give insights in terms of what you've read and studied and consumed. Um, just we're coming I suppose towards the end Paul but I'm very interested in in what you said there about the kind of the sharpness of how you give your message because obviously you're a massively empathetic person and you obviously are highly successful within the domain of people who perhaps are overweight and people who are perhaps overweight are obviously putting a lot of trust in you and that's reciprocated back um, from you how does that message go down the shark the sharp uh that that kind of that kind of sharp ending of maybe blunt perhaps of your no it's your your lack of discipline or your laziness like is it just on an individual level because I know like we're talking small but on a macro level about different things and it's kind of hard to take things away from talking we're talking about these big grandiose things about kind of uh, hypothetical people but how does that tend to go down I'm very interested just from a teacher point of view because I suppose there's times when you want to say something to a kid if they're slightly older of course um but you're kind of uh you might have to skirt around it as such just how does that tend to go down obviously different demographics but with your clients if you told someone that they're ill-disciplined or they're lazy how how does that tend to go down did you get like a take-up rate straight away um so i would never actually take i kind of spiel for you i would never tell somebody that i think they're being lazy unless it came in a very satirical and sarcastic way i would never say to someone who's struggling you're lazy i don't think it's necessary and even if i do even if i inherently believed it inside i don't think that's going to be the wording that solves the problem but if i do feel someone's being lazy yeah i'll challenge them with it somehow um now i have philosophy in me selfish one a selfish one don't lie ever no that's not practical because we all lie but i consciously try and remind myself of it so if somebody tells me something that i know is false i will literally just try and ask to challenge it going is it possible that's just a story you're telling yourself yada 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 I've delivered a, uh, I've delivered every client I've ever worked with my version of the truth um, based on their, their their personality and how I think I can talk to them and based on what I think they need so I'm responding incredibly well to it I had um, I had an overweight person before who really changed his life on the back of some harsh insights I gave him um, we would have been fairly confrontational towards each other after it for a very short period but I knew that if it was taken on board it would change the person's life and I'm lucky it did um, and then I only say things as and when they're necessary I do believe in the truth I think I think I believe in 
I don't believe in white light, and I think most people, if I'm entirely honest with you, I think most people who don't get where they are live their life in white light and black truths, which is a truth not designed to solve the problem, but a truth more so designed to hurt. Uh, there's no value in me telling someone they're lazy or fat, regardless of if they're overweight and not very active, because that's not a constructive thing to do to anyone, and who am I to judge that? But there is value in me saying for the amount you move and the weight target you have, you're not doing enough. There's a lot of value in that. And, um, they can then choose to ignore that advice based on my intent, which is always pure. If the way I see it with my girlfriend, Orla, the way I will see it with my children and the way I will see it with my clients, if I don't look the monster in the eye straight away and shrink that down to size, I'm allowing that monster to grow for depending on how long the relationship is. So it's my girlfriend, it could be 40 years and that's hell in my opinion. That's why divorce has happened. It, a lot of personal trainers message me going, how do you get decent results with your clients? None of my clients are losing weight. And I'm like, because you need to challenge them. You need to look the monster in the eye straight away. And, and as, don't ever assume anyone's telling you the truth, whether it's venomous or just ignorance. Never assume. Challenge everything. And it might hurt right now if you ask me a question and I give you the answer. But by paying me, you've given me the entitlement to give you an answer. And if you don't like it, I'm doing it out of pure intent and I would say the only reason you may not like it is because it's true and you're not ready to let go of that yet. I'm very diplomatic and I like to think I word it very intelligently and most people actually respond really well to it because I deliver it with just enough uppercut that it won't knock them out and it leaves them ready to go for a fight, almost like with themselves, ready for the, for the you know, like, like um, ready to get their cross and carry it uphill for the difficult journey ahead that it's going to be. That kind of way, like I, I, you can tell, I'm clearly big on like philosophical thought process and, and metaphors and stuff because I, I, I think everybody, everybody needs little metaphors along the way. Um, but yeah, I'm not harsh for harsh sake. I'll joke about it, and if I'm a really soft and good relationship, I'll message someone going, "You're not fucking four stone overweight because you had an avocado," like that kind of shit. Usually, they, they're like they're almost by me being so sarcastic about it, like, "Oh, one Kinder Bueno, oh my God, who got fat off one Kinder Bueno?" It almost makes them go oh my god he's so right let's all be lighthearted about it and then i start to see them you know change their mentality towards it so yeah sorry i could spiel on about it in a roundabout way but that's because i actually do think it's very important how you talk to certain people but the intent it's the intent behind the comment it's the intent behind the comment and then then the degree of the blow in which you decide to give it with so just hard enough for them to feel it not hard enough for it to hurt them no that's cool very very cool because uh something you said there earlier about like people who consume self-help and self-development but don't apply it like that's a that's a philosophy that's personally rooted and it's based on like you mentioned your last three check-ins they're outrageous weight loss so it's very very it's insane and, and, and it's insane and i put those three on instagram and because they're all very proud but um it's the same with personal trainers and i'm not speaking now as someone who's perfect the opposite but I had a conversation with a personal trainer yesterday who was trying to put out a daily email list and go live like me. And um, I was like, go live now. And they were like, no, no, my skin is bad. And I was like, no, no, go live now. And they're like, no, 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 I, I don't actually want to do it because they said they would. And I was like, go live now. I don't want to hear your shit because otherwise you're just going to put it off tomorrow and your hair will be bad and yada, 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 yada. And they were like, I really don't want to. And I was like, you're going to seminars and you're reading books about how to be a successful personal trainer and you're not doing anything with it. And then I met them go live. Literally, you might have seen my story last week. Then I got a message from someone. I have two inquiries in my inbox. You're a fucking genius. And I was like, oh my God, who would have thought doing the shit you said you do would lead to results? Holy crap, like go fucking figure. You know, it's nah, brilliant. It's cool because I suppose you talked about um, that sense of entitlement, maybe, and the social anxiety, and um, just on a pervasive level. And it's interesting to see that thought, that kind of. Um, I don't want to degrade it as being bl blunt because you are very diplomatic, how you say it, but that kind of straight in between the eye approach works and helps across demographics. Very, very interesting and cool to, to listen to chat there, Paul, about that. Um, I suppose, Paul, just, just wrapping up there towards the end, um, very quickly, just based on your own experiences, could you could you throw a few or maybe just one or two top tips on nutrition and then maybe some top tips on growing social media other than going live straight away, which you probably should do as well. <laughs> no, you're fine. All right, so um, for me, Nutrition is so individual. Like we're all, we all are, no, no one's exempt from like the law of thermo thermodynamics, etc., cool. etc. Et but um, the reason my business model is like it is is I was sick of 
everyone buying, you know, one fits all diet plan and a training program and, you know, no context with it. Uh, my best nutrition thing to someone who's completely clueless, to completely clueless is just track your next meal on my fitness path. Okay. Because a lot of people that, you know, just to, I, and I don't want to bore your listeners, uh, but I think this is my, my most well-received nugget is a lot of overweight people who are like, I, I love porridge, I love almond butter, I love uh, protein, I love fruit, I love avocado, and I love coconut oil, and they put it all to a smoothie to have a quote-unquote healthy smoothie. They track that, and it's like 1,200 calories. And I'm like, cool, you just, you know, suck the balls off half your days into calories. No wonder you're overweight. Um, that's the first thing. Just track your next meal, or and then hopefully they'll get tracking for the rest of the week or the rest of the month. Um, and then just, just just honestly, largely for most people, set a protein target and a calorie target, and largely you don't need to deviate more out of that. So so if your if your maintenance is two and a half thousand, and you want to lose weight, we might be eating at twenty three hundred. You eat twenty three hundred calories. We might say six hundred of those calories come from protein, one hundred fifty grams, and the rest you can do whatever you want. But be aware if you have three sizes of pizza you're eating a lot more of those calories than you might be if you had fruits, vegetables, and grains. So it's your choice. Um, that's my biggest nutrition tip is, you know, keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, to teach simplicity is a real virtue. Yeah. Right? Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication in my mind. Uh, and then growing social media, I don't think I'm a great man to ask, man. I, I, um, I write because I love writing. I live video because I love taking the piss of stupid things. I podcast because I think I genuinely have something to say to the overweight demographic. And, and to, I have a lot of slim and healthy people too. Uh, and I just try and funnel in people who want to be in my ecosystem. I don't believe in crummy sales tactics. I don't believe in this fake following, like for like, you buy followers, you pay this, that, and the other Autobot comments. I will put out a post and if you like me, come follow me. And if you think I'm a dickhead, get rid of me. And you know, I'm a percentages guy, and if I converted 1% of my audience as paying customers, 1% of 20,000 people, I'd need like five employees. And I've had two employees. So that'll give you a bit of a context on, I'm thinking like, you know, treat every single follower and every interaction way more valuable than I think most people do, because most people want a million followers. I want my 6,000 on Instagram who interact with me to be like, respected and and, and and to actually enjoy listening to me and see what I have to say. So growing social media, I just think it's important to be yourself. Don't get caught up with vanity metrics. Be real, be authentic, no bullshit. Um, put out your best form of content. Be brave. Don't say you'll do shit tomorrow if you can do it today. They're my best bits for social media. Yeah. I'm not the best man to ask. No, it's fantastic. and. Your your humility comes across there, but I think something I've noticed a lot from your from your social media, from your Facebook and your Instagram, from following you for a good while, is uh, like you said there, just wall to wall integrity and what you, what you put out, and um, and like it shows. Like you talked about the metrics of who follows you there, but the engagement you have and what you put out there is a testament to what to the value of what you're doing. So, Paul, just just for people who have maybe come across you for the first time today, where would you recommend the best place to follow you? Um, you can find me on Instagram as Paul Dermody PT, Facebook Paul Dermody, Paul Dermody Podcast, um, and I have an email list, which, believe it or not, is my favorite medium right now because yeah. writing is something I adore. Um, there's no sales, there's no links. I've had a couple of business coaches tear it apart and say daily emails are too many, and with no link out the other end, it's a waste of time. And I think, no, no, you're just another arbitrary fucking fitness person trying to sell a plan. I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm trying to give away my best stuff for free so that someone emails me and was like, holy shit, I think about this a different way. And the email list is in my Instagram link. If anybody wants to read it, I always joke, you can just unsubscribe if you don't like them, but I try and make them thought-provoking, a little bit deep, a little bit knowledgeable. Um, and I love the email. It's my favorite medium, believe it or not. So yeah, Paul Dermody PT on Instagram, Paul Dermody, everything else. Class, class, class. And you were at the Barcelona match last night, were you? I was, and it wasn't the best match in the world. I've been to, I've been to every one except the El Clasico home game, and that was 5-1. I missed that one. Last night was boring, and I never say that about football, man. Are you a big footy fan? Yeah, yeah, Ovi, yeah. love soccer, yeah. Oh, so do I. I, I man, Messi, is, <laughs> when you see him in person, it makes me never want to leave the city. You know, he's just he's that good. <laughs> yeah, senior man. And, I've seen even from your stories you're, you're fairly high up in the new camp and um, massively jealous Christ massively jealous <laughs> uh, do you know, the only reason I go high up man is because I couldn't get a season ticket and 
I don't want to spend over 100 euros every time I go to the new camp. So I, you know what I do? This is absolutely true. I buy the cheapest ticket and then I try and worm my way down to every available seat. Nice. So I'm getting the lowest and closest I can to the pitch. Uh, sometimes it works. One time it's gotten me actually genuinely into the VIP box. One time. Um, but the rest of the time I just get booted out. But sure, I'm like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I just squirm back to my seat otherwise. So. <laughs> yeah, deadly. Deadly, deadly. Not, 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 not full of integrity in the new camp, I'm afraid, man. <laughs> yeah, look, we all need some bit of escapism, man. I suppose if you're if you're, if you're, if you're going to cheat a few seats there, God, there's no judgment coming from me. No, deadly, man, deadly. Paul, absolute gentleman. Um, <coughs> Like we alluded to earlier, it's the second time we've sat down with you. Massively willing with your time. Uh, awesome. continued, continued success at everything you're doing, Paul. Thanks, man. And likewise, and thank you so much. Cheers. I appreciate it. Cheers, man. Take care. So there you are. There's uh, episode six of the podcast with Paul Dermody. Uh, like Paul said there, you can check him out on Instagram, Facebook, and the Paul Dermody podcast. Um, if you like any of the episodes, we'd really, really appreciate it if you could give it a like or a share or a rating on iTunes um, or follow on Instagram at on net uh yeah should have another episode next week got some really really cool guests coming up and yeah chat you then thanks very much